Some cars are comfy on the inside but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. Thanks so much as always for downloading, streaming, listening to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, the only place where you can find Sam Roberts doing Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Do me a favor, I keep the show free, I keep the archives free, and I do that as a service to you. If you can do one thing to repay me, it's use notsam.com slash Amazon if you're shopping at Amazon. It's the same website, you just type in notsam.com slash Amazon, and some of what you spend, a very little portion, will go to help this here podcast. Nothing's more expensive. It's all the same Amazon. It's just a different website URL. You can also leave a comment on iTunes, leave a rating, and make sure you subscribe if you don't already. And if you don't have a reason to subscribe, then listen to this show and tell me if you like it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Hello, hello, welcome. It's Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. What a great show we have for you. Uh, So much great feedback on last week's show. I appreciate all of you. Uh, There was certainly a debate as to uh, our guest, X-Pac, on last week's show. Most of you, I think felt that there there was a, a reasonable chance that X-Pac was telling the truth. I, again, still believe my friend. Some of you thought I was being naive. Fine, I guess we'll see. We'll see the way history tells the story, but it was uh, I was glad to be given the opportunity to at least be a place where X-Pac can, can share his version of what went down, and hopefully we'll together see that, that X-Pac was in the right in this situation, and that and that the things that he's being accused of are simply not true. Uh, so I'm looking forward to his name getting cleared. I'm looking forward to a lot in this whole world of WWE and of pro wrestling in general. Uh, I'll be at the Ring of Honor show, I believe, uh, this week on Friday uh, at the Ring of Honor pay-per-view. So it's been a while since I was at a Ring of Honor show, but they'll be back at the Hammerstein Ballroom here in New York. So I'm really, really looking forward to seeing that, and you'll be sure to get a review of that show next week here on the podcast, as well as uh, maybe we'll see what we can do in terms of of interviews. we got a lot to talk about on State of Wrestling this week, but before we get there, let's talk about an interview. So uh, just over a year ago, I suppose, uh, a friend of mine named Kathy Kelly was hired by WWE to fill a role that had yet, I think, been undefined. She was brought in to Greenwich, Connecticut to uh, uh, be, or Stanford, Connecticut, I guess, to be uh, the WWE's social media correspondent. She showed up WrestleMania weekend and has been off to the races ever since. And while I've done stuff on the radio with her before, and uh, she was a part of the show that I was doing on SiriusXM for a little while, uh, she's never been 
a part of the wrestling podcast, and I, I see people on the internet, and I, I hear them, and they're asking questions, and they're trying to figure out what her, what her role is at WWE, and they're trying to figure out, is she a fan, is she not a fan? The thing is, I think that when somebody's a fan of the product, when somebody has watched before, when somebody kind of knows what they're talking about and why they're talking about it, it comes through. A lot of times people are are brought in that may not know what it is that the WWE has to offer all that well. And really quickly, the WWE Universe picks up on it. And it works in one of two ways. Sometimes it's fine because, hey, they showed up not really knowing what it was, but they're taking an interest in what it is and uh, are learning. And other times... It feels like they showed up not knowing anything about it, and they still don't know anything about it, and eventually that stuff comes out in the wash. But uh, Kathy is indeed, has been, and is still a WWE fan, and her story of getting to the WWE uh, is very, very cool. So I thought that since we'd never done an official WWE wrestling interview with Kathy Kelly, that why not share that with you? The Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast listeners, huh? So here she is, this week, on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, the one and only from WWE's YouTube channel, from the Hall of Fame red carpet, from uh, uh, the Facebook Lives, from the archives, from uh, Facebook Lives post-NXT shows, interviewing Triple H, from the WWE's Snapchat, from Instagram, Kathy Kelly. And now, the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast interview. You know, after all this time and uh, various incarnations of different shows, whether it be Sam and Kathy or Sam Roberts show on Sirius XM, I realized that somebody had never uh, made an official wrestling appearance interview on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. So welcome, WWE's Kathy Kelly. Oh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> I had like a three-minute spot once upon a time, but... That's right, and I think you were in the background for something. Oh. And people were like, but I think you were referenced, or your laugh was in there or something, and people were that like... That probably made it yeah. in, because it's usually really loud. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, well, welcome. You've been... Uh, you've been on the East Coast for a year and... Some change, yeah. Almost over a year and a half. Not over a year and a half. 15 months, 14 months. Oh, I thought you came over in like January. Yeah, it's May. That's a year and five months. What? I can't. <laughs> um, I came over in April. Huh. Oh, no, no. March. March of last right, year. Well, either way, I'm wrong. But over a year. This is a really fun conversation so far. <laughs> well, it's getting there. You don't worry. I'm the last professional broadcaster. Okay. Leave it in my hands. So you've been here over a year, though. Mm-hmm. How has because it's tough to ask like when it, when you first move from the West Coast out here, and you're in Stamford, Connecticut, it's a, a kind of a huge life change. I remember you coming over and you didn't have any jackets. I did not have any jackets. That was um, something that I needed to figure out, and still didn't until a couple months ago. Um, I think oh, I was. You get, you get one of these winters every year. <laughs> I was borrowing your wife's jacket because she <laughs> so nicely lent it to me for, um, well, for a couple months, and I kept it for a year. <laughs> but um, yeah, there was a lot to figure out. I mean, moving away from friends and further away from family was an adjustment, but. Um, being well, plus the, the life, right? Like, awesome. like, as much as I'm sure it's got to be awesome to be inundated with WWE when you get here, 
L.A., there's like a hundred things going on all at the same time every minute. Mm -hmm. So it's not even not, not that one's better than the other. Probably in terms of productivity, being inundated with one thing is probably better because out of the hundred things going on in L.A., 99 of them are distractions. I don't know if I would say that. No? I mean, when I was there, I was working like 80 hours a week um, and then commuting a lot more too. Right. <laughs> Stuck in the car for 80 hours a week as well. Um, but I think like I had um, a few close friends that I hung out with there, but for the most part, work was the priority. So even though I was working freelance for a million different places, um, that's all I was doing for the most part. Well, so what were you doing before you got to WWE? Um, working for AfterBuzz TV, which you know, of course. Um, doing their Raw and NXT after shows, um, working for Juice TV, working freelance for Red Carpets, um, working for Celebified, All Music, Side Reel. Um, so I had a lot of things going. Oh, now, and Championship Wrestling from Hollywood. Right, of course. So. Where you met, uh, I mean, some of the guys who ended up in the Cruiserweight tournament were on Championship Wrestling. Yeah, I used to interview uh, Drew Gulak, and he yeah. was mean to me backstage. <laughs> <laughs> Why was he mean to you? No. <laughs> um, it's funny, though. Like, it's cool to, um, you know, have some of the guys there now, see them backstage at WWE. Yeah, it really is amazing that the longer that you stay in, because, you know, when I started doing wrestling stuff it was just like you know a bunch of east coast indies and i was just trying i was literally as emailing people and just being like hey i'm like a intern on a radio show but i'm on a radio show can i do something on your wrestling show and eventually somebody was like yeah you could do something here and who then, let you do that huh <laughs> i said who let you do that um who's who finally said yes well it was the the new york wrestling federation okay they ran one show in my high school so that's why I was like, and I went to this high school. And they're like, oh, okay, you could do something on the show. <laughs> but then, like, you know, I started, I met people there, and I did this yeah. and did that. That's where I met Pete Gass, okay. who I still know to this day. But it's really fun. And then, you know, you start doing stuff. I was doing stuff at Jersey All Pro and, and going out there a lot and doing I, a ton of stuff on, uh, on, the, on the indies, commentary and things like that. But, like, you end up meeting people, and the longer you keep doing that, the more – of these faces you end up seeing doing stuff mm -hmm. for WWE, which is really kind of amazing because, you know, one story that gets told about this world of wrestling and WWE and all that stuff is that it kind of, for most people, leads nowhere and it's so tough and WWE doesn't even do, look at people over here and they're not interested in that. But then if you just stay in it long enough, you see that, like, all these people do end up doing whatever. Maybe it was not the thing that you saw yourself doing or that they saw themselves doing. Yeah. But there's, oh, I, I got here somehow. Like you look around one day and you probably had a similar experience because I think that the, the stereotype is that, especially in broadcasting, WWE might shy away from people who've done wrestling stuff before. But you came in with a, with a resume of wrestling stuff. I mean, not so much a resume, but a couple years experience. And I feel like it is such a small world, like you were saying, of um, everyone kind of knows everyone after a while, Of especially with the shows on the network expanding, of them having, like, the UK championship and having all the guys from the UK. Like, it seemed like um, from all around the world, everywhere that they have wrestling has somehow, like, the cream of the crop ends up at WWE. 
And more so now than ever with the way that it's expanding. But, like, uh, at Championship Wrestling, like, uh, Nigel McGinnis used to produce some (laughs) of my backstage segments. So, like, now seeing him uh, in WWE is so cool and surreal backstage. Um, And Adam Pearce used to work there, too. So having that connection is really cool. Yeah, it's Um, amazing. At what point – so when you're out in L.A., you're doing Championship Wrestling, you're doing – those after shows, the Raw and NXT after shows, but you're also doing a lot of other stuff. Mm-hmm. So at what point did you start to think like wrestling is where my career is going to go? Or did you not think that until you got a phone call? Um, I would say, uh, so for those that don't know, like I didn't start watching wrestling until maybe five years ago. It's so good um, that you're honest about that too. Well, I mean, I, some people I have are, to be honest Yeah, about it. Like, but some people aren't. Like especially if they've got five years under their belt, I know people. Especially, like, you know, I'm five, girls more than guys, I think. But, like, the fact that you have five years under your belt means that you can hang in a conversation. And a lot of people who, when they can hang in a conversation, will lie about their experience level to kind of, you know, pad their credibility a little bit. I'm not a good liar, so I wouldn't <laughs> do it anyways. But, um, yeah, I started watching. Um, when I was younger, it just wasn't allowed in my house. So, so I didn't watch. What's the earliest wrestling memory that you have? Um, I remember, uh, AJ Lee was general manager (laughs) and, um, Vicky Guerrero was taping her, um, going into a hotel room with John Cena. So for everybody that's sitting there, like, I think probably the majority of the people that listen to this podcast, and there's probably a lot that don't, but a lot of people who listen to this podcast are probably more like me and for all of us, the first authority figure that we remember is President Jack Tunney. Well, I mean, for of you, course, it was like, AJ Lee. I, I've gone back and I've watched a ton of stuff on the network. Yeah. Um, so I do know more history now, but that was like when I really got into wrestling was I was producing at After Buzz um, and they had very few shows and very few hosts. So when I was there, we would watch. Uh, shows the next day to catch up on them and every Tuesday morning like clockwork we would watch raw and, and you just so you so you just started watching this show mm-hmm. and you were like I want to watch it next week the sec- the first week I had no idea what was going on same thing the second week um, by the third week I was the one that was asking like hey can we start watching raw <laughs> and I just I mean like I fell in love with it and, and those first couple weeks is it just curiosity like I know a lot of people talk about wrestling I want to see what this is or is it just well, it's on, and I want to just watch with the guys or whatever. No, I mean, we had a ton of shows to watch every single day. So that was oh, so you to watch genuinely, like, my favorite thing to watch. And um, anyone that knows me, like, you know this, but I just, like, started falling in love with wrestling to the point where I was going to shows at uh, Brian Kendrick's school <laughs> by myself to watch, you know, a few matches on a Thursday night or whatever it was. So. Right. Yeah. So for anybody out there that's wondering, like, oh, how can I find myself a girl like Kathy Kelly? Brian Kendrick's school. <laughs> Go to his shows and check the audience out on Thursday night. Just the girl that's standing alone in the corner. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it, what what was the reaction to you like at wrestling shows? Because you're not uh, aesthetically the typical wrestling fan. I mean, no one would really talk to me. Really? Yeah. That's. I guess that's the story, right? Everybody's... Like, are, were they, do you think they were intimidated to talk to you or were they just like, what is this person doing here? Or I'm just here to watch wrestling. I'm just going to ignore other people. I mean, I think because I'm in my head a lot, like I'm a very shy, awkward, nervous person. And so when I would go by myself, I would be more nervous that people would think I was weird. 
Um, and so <laughs> I think I've done that too, where you're accidentally unapproachable. <laughs> like, well, I mean, this is a perfect example. The um, how I met you was I was going to the NXT show in San Jose at WrestleMania. Yeah, before um, it was a takeover. By myself. And so you were in line to get uh, chicken nuggets or something with Katie Linendahl. Why would you assume and I that? Walked <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't sound like me. I walked up to you and I said hi. But yeah, I was going to a show by myself. Yeah, that's if you come up to me and say, hey, Sam, do you remember uh, I met you once at a wrestling show. You were waiting online to get chicken nuggets with Katie Linendahl. Like, you're going to have to every re- wrestling You're going to have to cut it down. <laughs> that sounds like just the weekend. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... You kind of instantly fall in love with it. And it, does it become a thing like how quickly do you want to be a part of the world? Meaning like at first it's got to just be like, oh, this is just a hobby. This is what I like watching. Yeah. So um, at the b- very beginning, like I just enjoyed watching the show um, and I wanted to watch more and more and more. So that's around the time that I think NXT started on Hulu. Um, so I was very into watching that. Um, but also at the time, oh man, like, so you were you were in, but that see, all right. So here's where you have credibility, right? Yeah. So like, for anybody that's like, oh, she didn't start watching WWE until like AJ Lee was a general manager. She's been watching NXT longer than you. Like you oh, yeah. were watching NXT in the Hulu days. I told you, like when I like something. I like it 100%. Right. Like, I'm never half committed to something. I'm always fully committed. So, so, so who's wrestling the wrestling was a full commitment. Who was the first NXT champion that you watched, that you remember? Um, the first NXT champion. Do you remember who was like who was holding the title when you started watching? I mean, I remember um I remember Biggie being in NXT as well. Like so the still. 5 count? Um, yeah, I remember I mean, I remember all of Neville's reign as NXT champion. Okay, I remember see, that's like... the first match, um, Paige versus Emma. Um, <laughs> I think that was the first NXT takeover. Could have been. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds right. See, see, and that's where, to me, I think you deserve a lot of respect because, like, the WWE history is, like, ridiculous. But nobody was watching NXT then. Like, nobody is sitting there going like, oh, yeah, I remember Neville's entire I don't know run. why they weren't watching <laughs> NXT then, because it was awesome. Yeah. And you're like, you, while you were late to the party, just instantly became the non-discerning wrestling fan, <laughs> where you're just like, oh, wrestling is on, so I will watch it. Yeah. And you just end up watching everything. That's, that's, that's funny. So, so... Like, at the, at the very beginning, going back to your last question, yeah, yeah, yeah. when um, I thought that being a part of WWE was an option was when I first started watching, um, they didn't really have many females in a backstage capacity. And Renee was the first one. Um, of that so time. she was, yeah, she yeah. was doing the backstage interviews for NXT. Um, and then I think she was doing stuff for, um, the WWE app at the time. Um, right. Raw and SmackDown. And, um, so yeah, that I was remember. really like, that was the beginning so of did thinking you watch like, the maybe app I too? can do this. Oh, yeah. I had you watch the app stuff? <laughs> you would watch it on the commercial breaks because um, we would – I don't even know how. There was some hookup at AfterBuzz um, where we could get the East Coast feed because we were located in Los Angeles. So we could still watch at 5 p.m. Um, and so we were some – oh, I think we weren't able to watch the app sometimes because it was blocked until the West Coast feed. Oh, that's interesting. But, but you'd always try to get in on yeah. the app action. 
we would figure it out yeah, somewhere you gotta or another. find out what's going on that way when you cover it on the after show you're like then during the commercial breaks they turned on the app and everybody's just like you're really going inside like we love this stuff but you are so deep yeah um and so you see renee and you're like oh my god this is a possibility yeah and this is something i want to do i mean definitely like had you asked me years before if i thought i would end up at wwe i would have said that you're crazy but um i mean slowly like i realized um maybe a year or two after starting to watch that everything that i was doing like all the red carpets all the other shows that i was actually getting paid for my passion was doing the raw and nxt after show see that's what i was going to ask you about because like you're in L.A., and, like, L.A. is super fame-driven. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's not even just about, like, what making money doing the red carpets. It's about the fact that you get to be seen on the red carpets, mm-hmm. and you get to interact with stars and A-listers and stuff like that. Yeah. So I would have to imagine that especially other sort of – not even just female, male hosts too, young hosts must – did they – how did they react – when they would find out that that wrestling was what you kind of wanted to do? Um, I mean, I think at the very beginning, uh, most of the friends that I had were more into going to brunch and going to the Grove and going to movies and that kind of thing. So there was a little bit of a divide and more so like they didn't judge me for it because they were my friends, but I felt weird of like, I felt like I wasn't normal because it was before I feel like a lot of the women in WWE, um, a lot of the superstars, they had the, the divas revolution and the evolution. Right. It was just on that tail end of like women being more like just a, a, a side show to the main show. And like, uh, uh, lingerie matches and stuff like that yeah. yeah um so when people would ask me like uh what do you want to do or what do you do and i would tell them about how i was into wrestling um i felt a little judged um hmm. and uh i actually did lose like a lot of friends because i would want to go drive an hour and a half to go see a show uh, <laughs> <laughs> as opposed to you know go get mani petties or whatever right um but now I feel like I'm at home because that's what everyone wants to do, you know? Right. You find that we, that's what ends up happening, I think, especially because, like, because it's how long? It's it's four years, three or four years from the time you decide, like, that's really something I want to do to that's something you're actually doing for WWE, right? Mm-hmm. So in that three or four years and once you get to WWE, I'm assuming that you start to meet new people that might share your interests yeah, and things like that. Yeah, definitely. Man, oh man. So, um, had you did you audition for WWE? Did you make a lot of attempts to get there, or was it sort of like I'm going to do championship wrestling? I'm going to do the after shows, and hopefully, I get noticed. So, my first tryout was, um, I think it was like April of 2015. Mm-hmm. So, a couple years ago. Um, and they were looking for hosts to be on the road, which, um, like Greg Hamilton is in that position. Dasha Fuentes is in that position. It's of, that sort of they're like, the ones that are yeah. hosting the live events. Where it's um, the half ring announcer, half MC, half, it's, exactly. that, it's that role that kind of, I guess, popped off right around then. Yeah, yeah. And so that was a position that they didn't have in the company before. Right. Um, so I was trying out for that position. Um, and 
I ended up uh, having a second, like I was in the, the second wave of that tryout where I hosted a live event in San Diego, California with Tony Chimmel. Hey. <laughs> it was actually so much fun. Um, but that was around August. So that was the callback for the event. Um, and so, okay, so this is your first experience working on a show. Yeah. It's a callback, but a WWE Yeah, it show. was like, it was a tryout, but it was actually hosting an event. And did, did was it mind-blowing? It was awesome. It like, was so like surreal. Of there, like, yeah. yeah, it was one of those days that it went by so fast that mm-hmm. I almost feel like I didn't get to enjoy it, but I still have such good memories of that. Right. Um, and even like the first week, um, my first tryout was over... Um, one of the NXT takeovers and I went down to Orlando um, and it was a lot of just like getting acclimated to what they do at the Performance Center every single day. Um, We got to watch uh, the takeover that had Natalia versus Charlotte. Yes. And that is still one of my favorite matches to date. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that for some reason when the story of the women's revolution, I feel like, has been told... I don't think that that match has gotten enough attention for me. I think at the time, it was like this sort of... To me, that match got the ball rolling on this whole thing. That was... I mean, all I thought was these women are so badass. Like, there were yeah. hair extensions flying everywhere. Right. They were Like, they were just going after it. And I think that that was the first time we saw... Well, maybe not the first time we saw, but that was the first time that I recognized women aren't just trying to fix their hair and look cute like they're actually trying to have the match of the night exactly yes yes so um but that doesn't work out you do the you do the so it did work out um i they told me that they loved me and they were going to use me moving forward um at the time like since the position hadn't been created yet it was going to take longer to get it started um, and for some reason, so I, I went back to doing after buzz, doing red carpets, like that kind of thing, just continuing with my life. And somehow within, um, like those months, there was, um, some sort of miscommunication where they thought that I didn't want to work there. Ah, uh, because you're going back to work and they're like, oh, I guess she's over it. It was, um, so I think that there was this idea that I just wanted to do red carpets. Whereas in my mind, I was only doing red carpets to fund (laughs) the wrestling shows that I was doing. Um, So um, they didn't think that I would want to move from L.A. And originally the job um, allowed me to live wherever I wanted to and then go on the road on the weekends only. Oh, Um, interesting. And then so the job changed where you had to move to Orlando. Um, so there was uh, miscommunication that I didn't want the job, even though that's all I wanted. Um, and I was heartbroken because, like, that's where well, I wanted to be. When do you find out that there's miscommunication? So I had stayed in contact. Uh, Johnny Greco is an amazing guy. He did the uh, – he produced the live events Kay. for WWE. Uh, he recently left the company, but he was – still is such an awesome guy. Um, he was the one that I was, uh, in contact with. And then, uh, I just continued to, like, I met up with him at that show in San Jose that we had just talked about. Um, and a couple other times when I was at events and I basically told him, I was like, I still want to work 
at WWE. Like, that's my goal. Um, and so he put me in contact with Michael Cole, and the ball started moved rolling from again. There. Yeah. That's amazing. That's yeah. amazing. But you just kept at it. Yeah. It's I good. mean, if that was my goal, like, I had to. Yeah, yeah. What other choice did you have? So, um, so what, what do you think? Well, for, okay, so you're in WWE now. What do you, what do you do? We know you from the YouTube show, of course, which I feel like has gotten pretty popular. You know, people on the internet talk about it. Uh, the international shows you do. A lot of our fans, uh, uh, listening in other countries, we don't get them in the United States, but a lot of our fans listening in other countries probably know you from, from the shows that you do in other countries. Yeah. What are the, what are the international shows that you do? So I host Bottom Line. Um, which is seen where? A lot of countries. Right. <laughs> Just, since it's not America, it's like, who watches that? Actually, like sometimes I'll look at, because like I have friends, um, two of my best friends, one of them lives in uh, Italy and another lives in Japan. Uh-huh. So uh, they air in those countries, some of the international shows. And so I'll have to go on Wikipedia and be like, oh, what station does it air on? So I can tell my friends <laughs> to watch it. <laughs> um, but yeah, bottom line, um, and experience are the ones that I'm hosting right now. I did Afterburn for a while, um, and then do the Canadian News Slams. Can you, what are Canadian News Slams? Canadian News Slams are like if there's an event coming to Canada, uh, we'll promote it during Raw or SmackDown. Oh, so you're on Raw in Canada? Yeah. On the like News 30 Slams. second increments. That's awesome. That's like when uh, when they used to go on WWF Superstars, when they used to go back to the newsroom, and Mean Gene Oakland would be there and say, from the pages of WWF Magazine. That's a good gig. Um <laughs> And and the YouTube show. So is that uh, is that primarily what you're doing right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had. Um, we'll have as well as specialties, like, I guess. Yeah. yeah, like the uh, WWE show that was on Snapchat over WrestleMania week. That yeah. was really fun to film. Um, and yeah, definitely different odds and ends. Yeah, and you, are, I always see you at the uh, uh, doing the interviews after the NXT shows on mm-hmm. Facebook Live. What's been? Do you have a favorite thing that you've done in the last year or so? Favorite thing that I've done. Because I feel like you've gotten, you have a very cool gig because you get to do like, just like cool stuff. Like you end up like, okay, I get to talk to Triple H or Shawn Michaels mm-hmm. after an NXT show for like 10 minutes, and not 30 seconds, 10, like an extended period of time. Like yeah. That's a really cool thing to get to do. You get to go to the warehouse and do just like fun things with old props. Like that's the type of stuff that like fans. You mean the live from the archives? We'd go nuts for it. Yeah, yeah. Like those, <laughs> those that like. <laughs> you would go nuts for them. Oh How much would you pay to go to the warehouse? Oh, I've been to the warehouse. Uh, I know. I, I, <laughs> you talk about it all the time. I, yeah, I would pay to go back though. <laughs> um, yeah, Ben made say, me pay him actually. Is that not typical? Mm-mm. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they pay me to go to the warehouse. What? Yeah. I gotta get that cake. Yeah, sorry. Um, but I think my favorite things this past WrestleMania was incredible. Just like everything that we got to do from the uh, YouTube and digital show, uh, jumping around in the foam pit <laughs> 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 to driving golf carts. And, you know, it's just like it doesn't feel like work, like especially those weeks of like, you, you know, you're getting two hours of sleep a night, but like you're doing the coolest stuff on the planet. Yeah. Yeah. You're just filling your plate with like. I want you want you want to say nonsense, but it's not not like nonsense in a negative <laughs> way. Just like silly, fun stuff. And that's I mean, I got paid to go to work and ride a roller coaster with New Day and Lana. Like it's great, it's great. That's and, not real life. And that's I mean, I think that's the part sometimes that people don't 
get from WWE, and it probably sounds cheesy, but, you know, they really do a lot of times put the focus on just wanting things to be fun and look fun and just, and that's a lot of the stuff that you do, I think. That's why. I mean, I think that that's what I resonated with of when I first started to watch is if someone's having fun on screen, you're going to enjoy watching that. Mm -hmm. Do you have a favorite match? Don't you say uh, Melina versus Alicia Fox because it's not oh, going to do you any favors. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, going back to um, just the most meaningful one for me was uh, Natalia versus Charlotte. Yeah. Just because, um, like I said, I feel like they were so badass in the ring. Um, I've gone back and watched that a couple times just because um, when I was watching it there, it didn't really feel uh, the same as when, you know, you're watching it on television. And I think that that helped me a lot in hosting of like realizing how much work the announcers have to do, like the commentary team has to do um, from what you see to what translates on TV. What's been the, what, what do you feel like was was or is the most difficult thing not that you don't do it well but just that it's more work than people would realize for you um i don't know that there's been one difficult thing like there's obviously a huge learning curve um with everything um i am definitely a more shy person so mm -hmm. i think being thrust into everything WrestleMania a year and a half ago. When you first started. Um, that was more just like out of my comfort zone of meeting so many people at the same time, people that I looked up to, I respected. Um, but and it's time to hit now the they're, running. you know, your peers. Like that was uh, a little bit overwhelming, but yeah. I don't think that there's been um, one specific thing that's. Um, right. No, that makes tough. sense. Like, it's just, like, for me, my entire life, like, when I was probably 10 until I was 22, like, I was very shy and introverted. I couldn't even pick up the phone to call people that I knew without writing down what I had to say <laughs> first because I was just, like, I was so awkward. And so the fact... Did you sound like you were reading when you would talk to him? <laughs> Hello, this <laughs> is Kathy calling. Yeah, you sure Can I speak to Sam Roberts? Oh, uh, it's hi, this, Sam. Uh, <laughs> is this movie phone or <laughs> Kathy? Um, no, I just think that hosting in general, like that's been a, a huge thing for me to be able to talk to a camera and like be able to talk to people. But if you're so shy, challenge. why do you want to get into this world? Like, what made you want to? become a public figure if like you just want to kind of stand alone in a corner of a wrestling show i don't know that i've ever wanted to be a public figure i just wanted to do what i liked and i loved um like when i was in grade school junior high high school i really wanted to get into acting and then around high school i found um like my high school's news program and i loved editing things i loved putting together a package i loved writing stories and i i loved hosting them so um, or reporting them and just to see like everything come together I think that that's a huge high for me like I love nowadays like you know when I was at After Buzz I loved doing the NXT after show and watching something and taking notes and talking to my friends about what we just saw and um, actually being analytical about it exactly and getting feedback from listeners and that's something that I miss doing like I love um doing panels with my friends like right. you know it's just like it's 
it's fun and yes there is work that goes into it like it is hard work but it it doesn't feel like it all the time right right so. right what do you do uh when you have to do your history like knowing that okay i have a really 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 good grasp on everything that happened in the world of wwe and that includes nxt everything that happened over the last five years but when it's like okay you know it's time to do you know a, a, a live from the archives about uh what it could be money in the banks it could yeah. be stone cold it could be whatever one whatever you did what do you do to brush up on your history um I text you. <laughs> I'm like, Sam, what should I watch? What matches should I watch? What uh, pay-per-views? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'll That's text true. you. Yeah. Uh, when I first started, like, whenever I would have time off, I would just watch, like, the Monday Night Wars compilation on the network. Where'd you get that um, idea So I from? got through, <laughs> through you. <laughs> I mean, like, I, I like watching Watch the... them all and watch them multiple times. That's what I did. <laughs> and I lived through them. <laughs> Uh, the Stone Cold versus Vince McMahon is pretty good too. Yep. Um, that collection, but uh, you know, going back watching the network or um, you know, researching it online, like what's been when you in doing your your history research, mm-hmm. I'm assuming you've probably over the last year watched a lot, mm-hmm. just because so much has come up. And what would is there any? Do you have a favorite era or incident or anything that like or or new favorite? wrestler that maybe you didn't realize actually um one of my favorite matches happened SummerSlam 1992 can you guess which one it is i mean i can i could probably name you the entire card uh that was that was the first live show you I ever were there went to. right yeah uh-huh i i mean it's i would the, the, easy, the one in england yes yeah. in wembley stadium yeah the easy guess would be brett versus bulldog yes was that because yeah. it's, it's not uh uh nails versus virgil <laughs> it's not okay i admittedly haven't watched the rest of the <laughs> pay-per-view so I've watched, you didn't see i the watched that tonka versus berserker no oh yeah should that, i go back oh if you like bret hart versus davy boy smith you'll love tonka versus berserker no i love that match though i thought it was incredible i watched Bulldog? it yeah. a few times actually yeah because i think we were doing so for a while uh cory graves and i were doing this week in history and so when we had a topic they were just kind of like I asked a week in advance when we were taping, can I get the topic? And I would just research it. Like they would have a script for us, but I just wanted to know what I was talking about. Right. Right. And so you just go back and yeah, because it is, even if it's scripted, it's like the minute you fall off script, if you don't know what you're talking about, you're really screwed. Yeah. The the other thing at SummerSlam 92 and this, will, see, that's what I always do. And I, I'm not even doing history. Like I know all this stuff, but I fall into wormholes easily. So like to the, things that i remember about SummerSlam 92 were entrances and it was the undertaker coming to the ring in a hearse and my dad was obsessed with that he doesn't even like wrestling he was obsessed with two things the undertaker coming to the ring in a hearse and nails wearing his bright orange jumpsuit but (laughs) but the 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 hearse entrance is amazing and the legion of doom came to the ring wearing gold shoulder pads like shiny reflective gold shoulder pads instead of red and they drove motorcycles all the way down to the ring because the aisle was super long. And on the, I think on Paul Ellering, who now you know from NXT. Yes. But on Paul, I believe it was on Paul Ellering's motorcycle was the Legion of Doom's wrestling buddy, quote unquote, named Rocco, who was a ventriloquist dummy. And it's like there was this, <laughs> and, and as you're watching, you almost forget. And this is like, 
the type of like nuance that you really have to watch a lot for. But when you get there, like it's so fun to be able to reference the era when the Road Warriors, one of the greatest tag teams of all time, came to the ring with a ventriloquist dummy named Rocco. Oh, my God. And, like, why that would ever be a thing. And, like, the idea that, like, it was based around the fact – you remember wrestling – well, you know of, of wrestling buddies, right? Yeah. I have all of them. The uh, the stuffed Tonka, you know, they're my bedroom. Keep oh, I was going to say, I thought you had to clean out some No, you keep them away from the baby. Oh, okay. Yeah. Don't um, want them get spit up on them. No, right? no, they're very rare, but uh, <laughs> especially series two. But, <laughs> but you know, those are soft plush things. Yeah. And in an effort for the the Road Warriors, the Legion of Doom, to be portrayed as tough Chicago people, it was said that when they grew up, their wrestling buddy was a ventriloquist dummy. Ventriloquist dummies are made of wood. Mm-hmm. It's very tough. Yeah. You know, you can punch a pillow, you're cool. But if you punch a wooden ventriloquist dummy, you're going to have a tough hand. It depends on what kind of wood. Like if it's like a bamboo or... Balsa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Might be fine. Yeah, I know. You might be. But your dummy probably wouldn't survive. Oh. The fact that Rocco was still in one piece was... But that was like the thinking. I think as I've analyzed it, you know, as I'm older, I'm like, I think that the thinking behind it was so kids like me would be like, whoa. I like that you're analyzing this. <laughs> I, would, older I, I will analyze the Legion of Doom having Rocco... <laughs> Until I'm dead. Like, like that's, to me, those oh are the conversations God. I like to have. And I like to have conversations about the Rocco era of the Legion of Doom. But that's just Well, me. now we're having one. So exactly. This exactly. is your dream. Yeah. That's, <laughs> I would just, like, Check tell that you. Check that off the list. <laughs> watch, like, 17 hours of wrestling and then call you six hours later, like, did you watch? <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any other uh, 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 notable... Uh, uh, favorites or or errors or anything you said you love the austin mcmahon stuff yeah yeah it's amazing like that that stuff happened because i I know there are a lot of people which is a surprising number of people who are watching now that didn't watch the austin mcmahon stuff you take for granted that they did but i know i know people with a lot of credibility that had to go back to watch a lot of the attitude era really yeah and like and it, and it blows my mind because they watch it now and they're like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And you're like, put yourself in the context of being 15, 16 years old. There's two awesome wrestling shows going on at the same time every Monday. And on Tuesday, the whole world is talking about it. Like that time is just like a, a, a crazy crazy time yeah i've yelled at my mom for not letting me watch she's yeah. actually really into it now which is cool yeah she seemed into it uh, i believe uh you were at monday night raw and your mom was knitting so it seemed like super into it yeah i mean <laughs> actually, really like yeah before i worked for wwe i would do um my mom would text me while raw was going on um mm-hmm. and they would be ridiculous things like i love neville's flippy thing why or, was she watching <laughs> just because she knew that you she were... knew that i was watching That's or she self. would watch the after shows because i was on them and mm-hmm. she would want to know what we were talking about so when she was you know at the gym after work she would just text me really stupid things <laughs> <laughs> how did your mom feel about you doing this for a living like um, running away with the circus. Oh, I mean, she would be happy with whatever I was doing as long as I didn't get in trouble. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> actually, she'd still probably be fine with it, <laughs> you know, but uh, she's always been super supportive. Um, and I think she has fun with it. Like she came to WrestleMania this last year um, and really enjoyed everything. Did so she sit in the audience. Um, she sat in friends and family with me. So, 
Vince, but she liked it. Yeah, she loved it. That's so Every funny. Every show that she's been to, she loved. Like, yeah, you mentioned she went to uh, the Raw after SummerSlam in Brooklyn a couple years ago. Yeah, that's the and show. she brought, she asked me if she could bring her knitting. <laughs> and um, she also asked if she could get her knitting needles past security. <laughs> so she did um, and brought her knitting. And I used the hashtag Mom Day Night Raw whenever she said something <laughs> stupid and just live tweeted it. So. You, you got to keep doing that. You I, have to keep I do Monday Night Raw alive. Like now she's getting kind of repetitive of like she'll be at the gym. She'll be like, oh, I want muscles like Dolph Ziggler's. Or, you know? And you're like, mom, I know that you know that I'm tweeting this now. You're doing it <laughs> yeah, on purpose. Exactly. Like, like this isn't this isn't natural and organic anymore. Yeah. Do you uh, at this point in your life, do you set goals, specific goals for yourself? Or do you kind of just be like, I want to get better and I'm going to take it as it goes? I think, I mean, I always want to get better with anything that I'm doing. Getting to WWE and in the position that I'm in, like, that was the goal for so long that I didn't know what the next goal was other than to improve. Yeah. And now, um, more recently, like in the last month or two, I think I've been thinking about um, the future within the company of, like, what I want to do next. So, And it's just, like, how do I – because it's interesting, your, your story, because – you know, the position that you didn't end up getting was a brand new position that ended up into this position. But the mm -hmm. position that you did get is a brand new position. was also like well. they created yeah. another new position. Honestly, I don't think like looking back, I'm so happy with how everything worked out of like I needed that time in L.A. to, um, you know, learn more about myself, uh, improve get to do backstage interview. Like I, I met so many people in that time. Mm -hmm. I got so much more appreciative of everything. And then the position that I'm in now with all of the digital stuff, um, what we're doing now and what we're creating down the road, like that position, I couldn't have asked for anything better. Like, I feel like that was almost made for me, you know? And I mean, uh, people, you know, they can believe it or not, but I will say that like in, in, you know, all this time of knowing you, I can vouch for you when you say that, like, your goals are all within the company. Like, there is nothing in this kid <laughs> that wants to be outside of WWE. I mean, like, if it's, I, it's kind if of, I it's were great. to do anything, honestly, like, I would still want to do it in conjunction with WWE. Yeah. Like, I, I don't see myself leaving anytime soon. You'll be there as long as they'll have you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so... I mean, you've been there all the times I've cried over wanting the position and then being in the position and loving it and yeah, yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, so. it's, it's pretty remarkable. Was there anything, uh, I don't know, is there anything we didn't hit on, do you think? Is there any, uh, uh, are there any people that you specifically, I almost don't like asking that question because it, it, it excludes people. But is there, are there any people that you specifically have loved either working with or even just getting to watch work? If that makes sense. Like, is there any, had, had there been, you know, any people that you've been like, that's somebody that I can either look up to or that's just somebody that I really like working yeah. with? Yeah. I mean, there are definitely a lot of people that I've either worked with or I feel like I've learned from watching them. And I would say um, I learned a lot from working with Corey Graves doing the international shows. Um He's taught me so much, and he's one of those people that just is a workhorse. He's so um, good, too. And, I mean, everyone can see that. Of Like, it definitely pays off all of his hard work. Um, Renee Young is someone, a 
I mean, like, she's that like, says it all. Like, she's incredible. And yeah. she's also a really cool person. Um, Booker T is one of my favorite people on the planet, and he knows it. <laughs> <laughs> he does? <laughs> yes. Um, for the longest time when we were doing, like, the Raw and SmackDown pre-shows on the network, we just have to sit there for, you know, six hours before the show. So... Um, got to hear a lot of his stories and he's just like one of the most fun people Mm -hmm. uh, to hang out with. And then um, I would say uh, down when I was doing the interviews at NXT, someone that I thought was incredibly professional and just awesome every single promo we did was Ty Dillinger. Um, And so to see him on uh, SmackDown now is really cool because there isn't a more deserving person. Well, I've been very happy for your success. I enjoy – I feel like uh, uh, there's a a, a greater uh, knowledge of of who Kathy Kelly is and what she does. And I think that's difficult to do. When there's a a new position like you have that's more the sort of – social media beat for WWE. I feel like that's the pocket that you're in right now. Mm-hmm. And there hasn't been that before. And so I think to to get the audience to look at you is a little bit more difficult because with 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 WWE, it's been around for so long, it's almost like I should know what I'm looking at. You know what I mean? I yeah. there there are roles and I know who does what. And so when somebody comes in and it's kind of a new role, you you kind of take a step back at first. And then it would be your job, Kathy, to draw people to that thing. And it seems like that's what you're doing. I think there's a there's a heightened awareness of, of Kathy Kelly, and I think you're doing very, very well. And uh, and I only hope for bright things in the future. Thanks. Yes. Uh, so I'm glad we did this. Thanks for hanging, Kathy. Of course. Anytime, Sam Roberts. <laughs> <laughs> Here is Sam Roberts. Kathy Kelly on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, and I'm glad we waited a while to do the interview with Kathy. I'm glad that it wasn't, you know, a week or two after getting hired, really for a couple reasons. Number one, she actually has a valuable perspective now. You know, to to interview somebody who just got hired by WWE is just somebody that's just going to be excited about the opportunity that's waiting for them. You know, I, I I don't see... That's like, oh my god, I can't believe it, I can't believe it, I can't believe it. Like, that's not necessarily the most interesting interview in the world. But also because it's so great to hear that after a year plus, she's talking to us as if she wants to stay in WWE for a very, very long time. That's what we want to believe, right? As we're watching this thing on TV, let's be honest, most of us watching the show are wishing we could be a part of it. I think even the most critical among us who sit there, you know, not liking what's going on on TV, for the most part, just kind of want to be a part of it. Maybe you want to change it. Maybe you want to be a part of the creative. Maybe you want to be on screen. Maybe you want to be a performer. Maybe, But you all want to be a part of the show. I want to be a part of the show. It's, it's, it's natural. So it's great to hear somebody that had that desire, that was watching, wanting to be a part of the show, actually not only after a year plus still wanting to be a part of the show but wanting to be an even bigger part of the show it's also to me i think very interesting to consider the fact that when you first say well i've only been watching wwe for five or six years it's like okay that perspective of the first authority figure i remember seeing in the ring is aj lee is like crazy to most of us right 
Most of us sit there going, what? That was like a, a blink of an eye ago. You go back to Eric Bischoff and Ric Flair and Vicky Guerrero. Even further, Gorilla Monsoon and Jack Tunney. Mr. McMahon. Briscoe and Patterson. You know, what, what, whatever it may be. There's so many people who have been in charge of it. And, and, and there's so much. I think we forget sometimes how much history is involved with WWE. But, to me, what makes it not only okay but great is that Kathy talks about the fact that that's when she started. She certainly, and I can vouch for her, has spent a lot of time watching old WWE stuff. Has spent a lot of time going backwards and, and catching up on what she missed. But at the same time, when she started watching, she really started watching. And you've got a situation where now, let's be honest, not many of us know the history of NXT. Like, the the reign of, of Neville as NXT champion, a lot of us watched, maybe. But most of us who are watching actively now, if we're being honest, we're really following, following NXT in the era of... Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens and Finn Balor in the WWE Network era of NXT. The fact that she was an, a Hulu NXT fan, I think, gives her a lot of credibility. Um, I also love that she, uh, her mom likes what she does so much, and her mom shows up at Raw and brings her knitting needle and everything. I love that because uh, Mother's Day is quickly approaching. Mother's Day is very quickly approaching, and if you're listening to this podcast on time, You've still got time. If not, you might have forgotten Mother's Day, which means you should still go back and take care of what you've forgotten. Or just get your mom something nice regardless of the holiday. Uh, you know you have to get your mom a gift, whether it's for Mother's Day or for some other reason. You've got to get her a gift. you got to get your wife a gift. Don't go to the gas station and pick up flowers. And if you already did go to the gas station and pick up flowers, it's time to make up for it. You don't rely on the same overpriced brunch. No, she doesn't want that. And she knows that it, there's no originality to it. I'm going to tell you exactly what you got to go do. You go to IHateStevenSinger.com. I tell you about this. You've heard about this. It's the brand new 24-karat gold-dipped rose. It's sparkly. It's delicious. It's red velvet, and it's almost gone. We know Steven Singer's going to sell out. He does every year. Celebrate your mom, your wife, your sister, your brother, who's now your sister, with an extra special treat, the red velvet 24-karat rose. That's gold dipped. That's right. The gold dipped rose is the perfect gift. The deep burgundy sparkling petals of this rose are trimmed in pure 24 karat gold and it lasts forever. No more roses that end up in the trash in a week. This rose is guaranteed to last a lifetime. It comes shipped in Steven Singer's signature gift box with your very own personalized Mother's Day card. And Steven offers you fast and free shipping every day. So if you want to be the favorite son or daughter or the best husband, go to IHateStevenSinger.com. Everything shipped for free. Steven Singer Jewelers, one place, one price. IHateStevenSinger.com. And tell them that you heard about it on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. So much to get into this week in this world of, of, of pro wrestling. Again, can't wait to talk to you all about uh, what happens at the Ring of Honor pay-per-view and what the live experience is next week. But this week, a lot going on. You know, I thought you a lot of times when Raw and SmackDown comes from England because it's not live, 
It's not the most eventful show in the world. And five years ago, in the in the in the early 2010s, those shows could be rough. They would just do a show where nothing really happened because they didn't want spoilers to get out, or for whatever reason, I don't know. Uh, that's not really happening now. Because of the, I would imagine because of the pace that we move at, because there's two pay-per-views a month, because there's always new stories being told, because the superstar shakeup has changed a lot. The stories are still being told. There's always stuff going on. And uh, this week was no exception. So uh, let's get into everything. Well, before before we get into everything that happened on Raw and SmackDown this week, uh, let's make sure uh, that it's a smooth transition. That's what happens sometimes, right? I go into the next thing, and it's just kind of clunky. You need a smooth transition. Well, you need a smooth transition that's as smooth as your face. And how are you going to get a smooth face? I'll tell you how you get a smooth face. Because you get a new razor. You're probably sitting there and you're talking to me right now. And you're going, Sam, I'm not going to get a new razor to make sure I have a smooth face. Because new razors are ridiculously expensive. Ah, 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 ah. It's Dollar Shave Club. Dollar Shave Club is going to give you a great shave at a great price. And it's conveniently delivered right to your door. It's a life hack is what it is. You don't have to buy a cheap disposable razor for, uh, that they gave you. Uh, that's going to give you a cheap shave. You don't need to spend a fortune on razors with gimmicky shaving tech that you don't even need. You can go to Dollar Shave Club, and when I use my Dollar Shave Club executive razor, with of course Dr. Carter Carver's shave butter, the blade is gently gliding, and it gives you such a smooth shave. The shave butter is uh, transparent. For a more precise shave, you can look and see what you're doing, and it helps prevent ingrown hairs, and it fights razor bumps. Uh, it's very, very smart. It's very, very affordable for a limited time. New members get their first month of the executive razor with a tube of their Dr. Carver's shave butter for only $5 with free shipping. After that, razors are just a few bucks a month. This is the much smarter choice. It's a $15 value that I am getting you for only five bucks. I know all the connects. In your first month box, you get an awesome weighty handle, a full cassette of four cartridges, and a tube of the shave butter from Dollar Shave Club. After your first month, replacement cartridges ship automatically at their regular price. You're trading out razor blades one after the other after the other, you're not feeling the weight of it in your bank account, but you're looking very, very good. And let me tell you something. If you're a single guy, women love a smooth face. So here's what's going to happen. Your shave is going to be so good, you're going to end up getting married. And you know what's going to end up happening after you get married? Tax breaks. You're going to get tax benefits for a very low investment. $15 value. I'm going to give it to you for $5. Eventually, you're going to get tax breaks. Uh, there's no hidden fees. There's no commitments. Cancel anytime you like. You can get this offer exclusively at dollarshaveclub.com slash Sam. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash Sam. Make the smarter choice. Go to dollarshaveclub.com slash Sam. And while we're talking about being smooth, let's smoothly enter into the state of wrestling. It's now time for this week's State of Wrestling. 
so late breaking news. I don't know why WWE even lets Daniel Bryan do interviews anymore. <laughs> he just <laughs> every time he gets in front of a microphone, he's just too honest for his own good. Uh, an interview came out with Daniel Bryan this week where he said basically his contract is up in about a year and a half. And he understands why WWE won't let him wrestle. It's a liability thing. They're protecting him. It is what it is. He's not mad at him for it. But he said, this was what he said. He goes, you know, once his contract is up in a year and a half, he's going to want to wrestle. He feels his health is good and he loves to wrestle. He says in a year and a half, he and his wife are going to assess his health. And if his health is good, he'll wrestle. And if his health is not good, uh, we'll see. So it sounds to me like if his health is good, he's going to wrestle. And if his health is not good, he's going to wrestle. You know, I don't see a future in a year and a half. What will that be? 2018? Maybe into 2019? Daniel Bryan's going to wrestle before 2020. Before the year 2020, Daniel Bryan is going to wrestle. I could see him in Mexico. I could see him in PWG. I could see him in Ring of Honor. He's going to have a match in the Tokyo Dome. I said that a few weeks ago. He's going to have a match in the Tokyo Dome. And now he's basically gone out there and said, uh, he hasn't said anything about the Tokyo Dome, but he's gone out there and said, yeah, I want to wrestle again. And it's not even like he's being coy about it. It's not even he's being bratty about it. It's not like he's... He's playing something up for contract negotiations. He's just, for some reason, for somebody who loves wrestling so much, this kid does not have a poker face. He just goes out there and he says exactly what's going on and how he feels. And I can't believe the WWE, I get, they, they want to keep him. I guess they want to uh, get their, their money's worth out of him. I guess I would assume that uh, they they want to protect him and kind of hold him under their umbrella or cloak or whatever you want to call it. And he's good on talking smack. So they want to maintain their investment, even though he's not on right now. Once he, you know, once, once Bree pops the kid out, you'd imagine he'll be back within a few weeks. So they want to keep him there. And he's good at talking smack. The show is good. It seems like a fun time. There is no possible gig that exists in sports entertainment that is going to keep Daniel Bryan out of the ring aside from what he's doing now. He seems to be giving full freedom. Every time he does an interview, he's answering way too honestly. So I don't see a possible scenario where there's an offer that can be made to him that goes, look, you know, like Edge. If you go back, go back through the archives and listen to the interview that I did with Edge. It's an old one, but it was pretty quick after Edge announced his retirement, like a few months after he had announced his retirement. And when Edge decided to retire, he said then, he has said now, it was almost a relief, it sounds like. There was no part of him that was like in denial about it. He found this out from the doctor. The next day he goes, okay, no problem. Let me hand over the world title and let me just announce to the world I'm leaving. And then I'm gone. And then I figure out the next thing. And then I spend some time away. And then maybe I come back and do a WWE Network show. Whatever it is, Edge was ready to go. And there are, I think there are probably a lot of guys that are like, okay, you know what? 
this is the hand I've been dealt. I've done enough. I talked to Corey Graves. I think Corey Graves isn't quite there. I think if Corey Graves could continue to compete, he would love to. That probably has to do with the fact that Edge was a multi-time world champion and Corey Graves had not yet made it to the main roster. But, you know, Graves has become the best color commentary guy in WWE. So, obviously, you don't become the best at something like that unless you're working towards it. And you can't work towards it with the kind of effort that it requires to become the best unless you really want to become the best. It doesn't happen by mistake. So, Graves, you know, he accepts the world that we live in now. He accepts what it is, and he, and he, and he moves on, and he finds a new dream. He lived his dream to the extent that his physical body will allow him to live his dream. And now it is time. He has, was successful. You can't deny that he accomplished what he wanted to accomplish. He was in NXT. He was obviously going to come to the main roster at some point. And now he is going to be able to come to the WWE and be a part of Monday Night Raw and be a part of WrestleMania and be a part of all these things that we dream about just in a different way than maybe he initially thought. And that's that's the way life works. Life, you can't plan something. That's why dreams have to be malleable. You have to figure out how you can turn your dream into a life. You have to figure out how your dream can be sustained over time. If you have a dream right now that isn't realistic in terms of uh, you making an income, in terms of you supporting yourself, if you have a family, in terms of you supporting your family. If that doesn't work, if my dream is to be a radio show host, right? I'm dreaming to be a radio show host. And I'm in my 30s. And I realize, I'm looking around and go, there is no big contract coming for me. I've seen this before. There is no big contract coming for me within the next, say, five years. I know it's going to take a lot of work to get there. And the way the industry is changing, I don't know what's even going to be there waiting for me in five years. So here's what I've got to do. I've now got to maybe adjust my dream a little bit. I've got to familiarize myself with this industry and figure out how I can turn my dream into something sustainable. How can I turn my dream into something that I can be living throughout my life? How can I make this so that I don't just have my dream job this year? How do I make it so that my dream job extends throughout decades? That's, that, to me, is, the, is, is what happens when you own what's going on and take responsibility for what's going on. And for Daniel Bryan, I have to assume that even he knows that there isn't going to be, he's not going to wrestle full time when he comes back. Like, there isn't going to be this thing where he goes and has a, a, a full-time run and wrestles for another 20 years. Like, that's done. Maybe he's got a little bit of gas left in the tank, but it's not a full tank, regardless. I understand if he thinks WWE was being, uh, you know, is being too cautious. If he thinks WWE is being overly cautious. But whether WWE is being overly cautious or not, the concussions are real. You can't just keep going. In 2000. 17. We know what concussions are. 
You can't just continue to go and go. Now, maybe he's gone to doctors that say, you know, it's not to say you get you can't put yourself in a position where you're going to continue to get concussions. And that's something that's a lot easier to control with a very limited schedule. Maybe WWE has a zero tolerance policy on this and they simply won't allow any of this to happen. I mean, you have to look at it. I don't, <coughs> excuse me, I don't blame WWE for any of this. You have to look at it from their perspective. At the end of the day, if they let Daniel Bryan even come back, let's say they let him come back for one more match. We finally get to see the Daniel Bryan Brock Lesnar match that we all wanted to see. I'd say even before the WrestleMania 30. That was obviously, that was the David Goliath match to see. Let's say Daniel Bryan comes back for one more match. Let's see D Daniel Bryan ends up getting a concussion in that match and something terrible happens. When something terrible happens, the way... First of all, WWE is just being cautious towards a talent right now. They care about this individual. They want to put him in a position that is not dangerous to him even if they were being selfish. The story, if something terrible happens, reads, why would WWE allow this to happen? Why would WWE take this man who's been uh, dealt with all these concussions and parade him out in front of an audience only to put him in danger like this again? Regardless of it, if, if that were a true story or not, in this case, obviously, it would not be a true story. But regardless of that, that's the way the story would be told. And there would even be fans that were sitting there going, you know, I know we asked for it, but we don't know what's going on. WWE really should be a little more responsible than that, than to allow this guy to be in that match. Okay, well, maybe WWE sees that this time and says, we're not doing that. Even for one match, we take the concussion thing too seriously. We're not doing that. Trust me, as a selfish fan... All I want is to see Daniel Bryan back in a ring. You know, I still watch WrestleMania 30. And I weep inside my soul for what could have been with that title run. I weep at that moment. There isn't... That is probably the quintessential moment that is just a moment. Daniel Bryan winning the championship at WrestleMania 30 is like this this moment. Where there's just been all this build and build and build and finally, boom, there's your moment. And it just exists in that moment because we never got the run that we thought we were going to get that we wanted to get out of that. All we got was the moment. And that, I think, is why the Daniel Bryan story is so unique. I'm not going to sit here and pontificate on whether or not I think it's a good idea that Bryan wrestle again because I don't know. I don't. I haven't seen x-rays of his brain, and even if I had, I'd be like, ooh, that's gross. I wouldn't know anything about x-rays of a brain. I wouldn't know what to look for. I wouldn't be sitting there going, you know, I really think that, no. I would probably just tend to trust the experts. But I think that at the end of the day, we live in a, in a, in a, in a free society, and we have to allow people to take ownership of their own decisions. I think WWE is taking ownership of their decisions by saying, look, you know, we are we feel responsible for the people that are in our ring. 
we're not going to allow you to put yourself in danger. And Daniel Bryan is perfectly able to say, okay, I understand that. I get that. I respect that. I'm out of here because I want to put myself in that danger. Okay, cool. And I, I think at that point, there's nothing either party can say, but all right, cool, man, do your thing. And I don't think you can, if Daniel Bryan's able to do 20 more matches, I don't think we can sit there and blame WWE. You know, emotionally, we're all going to be going, oh, what could have been? Oh, if only we had seen this in a WWE ring. Oh, we could have seen this feud and that feud and blah, blah, blah. But on a logical level, if Daniel Bryan has 20 more amazing matches and none of them are for WWE, I don't sit there blaming WWE for not allowing this to happen in their ring. I say, wow, that was that was a fairly selfless move on the fact that WWE, they, they did not take advantage of money that was on the table. So it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, in the next 18 months, but I personally feel like there's no chance that Daniel Bryan doesn't wrestle again. And he's never said that. He keeps saying, I mean, he, he keeps hinting around the fact that it's his last WWE match and da-da-da, and now he's specifically saying, year and a half contract, then boom, boom, another match. It's like, okay, buddy, <laughs> at least give the illusion that you're following what WWE is saying. It's really it's really funny the position that he's in. Speaking of injuries, Braun Strowman, four to eight weeks out getting surgery, which is a huge shame based on the build that Braun Strowman has had. I don't know where that's going to end up putting him for extreme rules. They were obviously angling toward a Roman Reigns-Braun Strowman maybe stretcher match, maybe ambulance match, some kind of of gimmick match at extreme rules. Um, I don't have the date for extreme rules in front of me, but at most it's got to be about four or five weeks away which puts it right in the middle of that four to eight weeks. We don't know for sure if he will be at Extreme Rules. In terms of story, it doesn't affect that much. In uh, Braun and Roman have almost been treated like the Universal title gets treated in the sense that Brock Lesnar walked away with the Universal Championship. And while he's been gone, you know, it gets talked about like Finn Balor says he wants Brock Lesnar and and Braun, Braun Strowman wants Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns, but it doesn't interfere in active storylines. That's how you get away with doing TV without a universal champion. And Braun Strowman and Roman Reigns has been a story so independent of everything else going on on Monday Night Raw that the only thing you have to do is just simply remove that story. Now... If you're looking forward to Extreme Rules and you now potentially have a pay-per-view that does not have a universal title match and does not have Roman Reigns versus Braun Strowman, I'm not exactly sure uh, what you have. You got a situation where, you know, logically, Seth Rollins versus Samoa Joe should be your top match on the card if those other two are missing. But I don't think that Seth Rollins versus Samoa Joe is a match that has resonated with the audience the way it should have. You know, and I I, I just think that there's a, a lot about that story. The match is amazing. Both those performers are amazing. They're two of my favorites. I have Seth Rollins' socks, for God's sake. But in this moment, that story that's being told 
to me, is falling flat. And I don't think, to me, there's enough juice in that story to market a pay-per-view around it. I think that something else either has to be figured out or we have to figure out a way to put some juice in that story. And either one of those things can happen. I couldn't help but feel as I was watching, and this would go back on what happened on Raw uh, a couple of weeks ago, but we can go back on what happened on Raw a couple of weeks ago. Uh, As I was watching, I'm looking, and The Miz is far and away the truest bad guy in the company right now, and every fear I had about Miz leaving SmackDown has been sort of taken off my plate. The Miz-Dean Ambrose story right now, I care about more than the Miz-Dean Ambrose story from SmackDown, which is the only way that that works because if you're going to take a story that we already saw on SmackDown and just move both parties to Raw, you, you end up scratching your head like, didn't we already see this? But we didn't see this. It wasn't this good when it was on SmackDown. This is one thing. You know, we all say that SmackDown is a better show, and I think SmackDown still probably is a better show. But this story is being told better on Raw than it was on SmackDown. And The Miz, I think, is still... The Miz became one of the top bad guys in the company on SmackDown. And right now, he's right there. Braun Strowman's injury and Brock Lesnar being off regular TV is the best thing that could ever happen to two people. The Miz and Bray Wyatt. Now is the time to look at Bray Wyatt and turn him into the fullest bad guy that you can possibly turn him into. And it can work now where it couldn't have worked before because, quite frankly, a lot of fans have lost faith in Bray Wyatt. A lot of fans uh, have, have, have been de-romanticized by the Wyatt family characters. And it's, I mean, it's because Bray's lost so much. It's because some of the things that Bray gets involved with become repetitive. It's just we don't have that much faith in him. So we're in a position where the fans are not just going to universally cheer everything Bray Wyatt does, which they would have, you know, a year or two ago. So if that's where you're at, you now have a show where potentially you've got The Miz and Bray Wyatt as two true bad guys. And when you've got two true bad guys, hear me out on this, what do you think of the potential of an unholy alliance between The Miz and Bray Wyatt? In the sense where, not that they would be on a team together, not that The Miz would have to join the Wyatt family, none of that stuff would have to happen. But, The Miz and Bray Wyatt would both be acting on this mission to take out all the good guys. And it's for two separate reasons. The Miz wants to take out all the good guys because he wants all the attention paid to him. Bray Wyatt wants to take out all the good guys because Bray wants to see the world burn. Both guys realize that, okay, if we want the best people on this show out of action, we may be more successful if we work together. Bray doesn't have to worry about taking The Miz out. The Miz doesn't have to worry about taking Bray out. I'm talking about a relationship where my, where the enemy of my enemy becomes my friend. And that's what you've got 
with The Miz and Bray Wyatt. The enemy of my enemy becomes my friend. And it doesn't have to be anything super formal. It just has to be this this feeling that we get. It doesn't have to be cut and dry. We don't have to have a promo where Bray Wyatt literally says, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, Miz. Don't, he doesn't even have to talk about it. He doesn't have to put a Bob Dylan accent on. He doesn't have to do any of it. He just goes forward and he helps the Miz win a match. And the Miz helps Bray Wyatt win a match. And it's just through looks. And it's just through actions. And it's just two guys that are helping each other. And commentary sits there and they go, wait a minute. We thought Bray Wyatt was unstoppable before. If Bray Wyatt and The Miz are cooperating, if these guys are working together, is there anybody that can stop them? And they become so much more dangerous as bad guys when we realize they're working together. It's a no-brainer. That's how you make Miz and Bray Wyatt even bigger marquee stars to the point where now you've got you put a little work into Samoa Joe, and now you've got a, a show where The Miz, Bray Wyatt, and Samoa Joe are all as credible as any bad guy has been. And all three of those guys could be as credible as any bad guy has been. What you need to do is set up a roster. If you don't have a champion on TV, it's fine. It's doable. But you need to set up a roster with some depth so that if you have something like Braun Strowman getting injured and needing surgery, you don't you're not you don't have an audience that's sitting there and waiting four to eight weeks. You know, the, the what you want is the show to go on and then four to eight weeks later Braun Strowman pops up and we go, Oh my god, Braun's back. I totally forgot. Not like every week tuning in and we're just in a holding pattern because our big star that everybody loves, who again you can argue with me all you want, but is the biggest good guy in the company. Braun Strowman is gone. And Roman, I think, should be taken off TV until Braun comes back. Roman is legit. He's a bad guy right now, in my mind. Roman is not a good guy at the moment. The Yaboos have gone away for the most part for Roman. If you're really listening... You know how I feel about the Yaboos, and it's a controversial theory, and I've been met with many, many different responses as to why it happens. But to me, the Yaboo theory remains strong in the sense that if you're getting Yaboos, it is fans that maybe are not being legitimate about how they actually feel. And the reason why I think this theory is strengthened is because now Roman gets booed on TV. Maybe it's not the same in house shows, but on television and at pay-per-views, Roman has been getting boos. Not yeah boos, just boos. The overwhelming chance of you deserve it when bad things happen to Roman Reigns are simply not ignorable. To me, he's a bad guy, and it just is what it is. This is what Roman Reigns as a bad guy looks like in the year of our Lord 2017. And... I think that both roles at this point could be embraced a little bit more, but that's a it's, a it's a ballsy move. You have to decide, okay, well, this direction that we thought we were going in, maybe we're not going in that direction. Maybe we need to put plans on hold for a little bit. Maybe we need to revisit. You know, it's not like you you embrace what's going on with Roman Reigns and then you can never turn back. Could be could be the key that you need. Could be could be exactly 
what's missing is that you embrace what's happening with Roman Reigns in that he's a bad guy and start having him do stuff that's a little more bad guy things. And if he's good at that, then all of a sudden you've got yourself a good guy. If he's good at being a bad guy, which I think he will be, well, that's the easiest road to making him a good guy. Because people will appreciate the fact, people will know. They'll appreciate how good he is at this role. And over time, it takes time, but over time, you'll see that people are cheering for him. Because when he was a bad guy, when the Shield was a bad guy faction, and they were brutalizing people, Roman was getting more cheers than Dean or Seth. There was a time in the Shield where Roman was getting the most cheers. That was a thing. And it would appear that the only way to bring it back is to is to embrace the fact that the a large portion of the crowd prefers Braun Strowman to Roman Reigns. And a large portion of the crowd thinks that the things that Braun Strowman is doing is are the things are cooler than anything that Roman Reigns or anybody else is doing right now. So, you know, I, I think that that's where it is, but I, I don't think that uh, it it serves Roman's interests at all to be a part of the other stories. Um, you know, I think this idea that, that Finn Balor... Because there's, there's, once Finn Balor gets past Bray Wyatt, you know, and to me, again, what spices that up is this idea that The Miz is helping Bray Wyatt. So I don't think that anybody legitimately feels at this point like Bray Wyatt could beat Finn Balor. But if Bray Wyatt and The Miz have each other's backs, and the good guys, Seth Rollins, Dean Ambrose, Finn Balor, are all arguing over who's the number one contender, who's the best guy in the company, well, then you got something very interesting there. And you've got a Bray Wyatt that's a lot more difficult to beat. When Finn Balor does beat Bray Wyatt, I think that the best thing you can do going into SummerSlam is a situation where you've got Brock Lesnar versus Braun Strowman for the championship, and then you've got Finn Balor and Roman Reigns one-on-one arguing over whose yard this is. Who did who did Finn Balor defeat in order to face Seth Rollins in the first Universal title match? Roman Reigns, and he beat him clean. Roman Reigns has not, Roman Reigns has not avenged that loss. I think Roman Reigns versus Finn Balor is the match for SummerSlam. And we have to embrace the fact that fans are going to cheer Finn Balor. Because adults like Finn Balor, dudes like Finn Balor, their girlfriends love Finn Balor, which I don't, it, it's a weird thing to watch a guy who your girlfriend likes and then you're like, oh, he's pretty cool actually. Like that's, that's, that's a rare commodity, but Finn Balor pulls it off. Because um, she likes the James Dean part, but you like the John Wayne part, so it's okay. But kids also like Finn Balor. Kids are going to dress up as Finn Balor. Kids buy the t-shirts and put the face paint on and wear the armbands. You know, you've got a great character in the Demon the Demon King. So I don't think 
you've got any choice but to realize that fans will cheer Finn Balor over Roman Reigns. So why not go into SummerSlam with a real son of a bitch of Roman Reigns who's trying to take the match that we all want to see. People want to see Finn Balor with the title again. Finn Balor was the first Universal Champion. People want to see him holding that title again. Let Roman Reigns be the spoiler of that come SummerSlam. And then after SummerSlam, whoever wins that Roman Reigns-Finn Balor match, that's the person who's going after the title. Makes sense to me. Over on the SmackDown side, anybody that's still upset about Jinder Mahal, because when Jinder Mahal first became the number one contender, there were there there was uh, uh, some voices of dissension. There were some people who did not like the choice. Anybody that's still there, you have got to re- remove yourself from your expectations and allow what's happening to happen, because Jinder Mahal is taking an opportunity and running with it. There is right now. I don't know if there's anybody on the card. I think you could do what you're doing with Jinder Mahal with Baron Corbin. I think if the choice was made, you could make Baron Corbin that guy. But besides Baron Corbin, I don't know if there's anybody that could fill the shoes that Jinder Mahal is wearing right now. And Jinder is is so good right now. He is completely pulling it off. It is so rewarding to me to watch a guy who, quite frankly, has been around for a long time and a lot of people gave up on. And I don't blame him for giving up on him. I mean, what was he doing? But you watch a guy who people were who gave up on succeed to the level that he's succeeding. And you have to give props to that. Because this is a guy who on some level knows that the opportunity that he's getting right now is not one that anybody would expect him to get and it's not one that would have been fair for him to ask for. He ended up in a, a rare opportunity and he is taking advantage of the opportunity better than anybody could have possibly expected. And the gender heads are doing great too. What an opportunity for those guys. The former Bollywood boys. Great. I think Jinder Mahal has been so good in the role that he's in. He's fighting an uphill battle, but he's winning it. I think, he, and I'm I'm excited to see him. And I think he's adding to the pay per view. You've got a pay per view where backlash, where Jinder has come into his own. Shinsuke Nakamura is having his first match on SmackDown, which I think is so smart. To not have him wrestle on TV until the pay-per-view? So smart. So you got Nakamura's first main roster televised match. You've got the gender title match where it's gotten so crazy and they've done such a good job, people are saying, wait, I thought this was a throwaway. But there is a world. Jinder Mahal could be the champion of the world. Jinder Mahal could be the WWE champion. It's not far-fetched anymore. Then... You've got the match that has been booked like a more traditional main event that everybody's looking forward to in Kevin Owens versus AJ Styles. SmackDown, once again, has done a masterful job of using a talent roster that people might look at as not being as deep as it needs to be and creating depth. SmackDown creates depth in their roster. SmackDown is a problem-solving brand. 
Raw usually I mean Raw's got the the best because they've got so many guys because they've got enough guys to fill a three-hour TV show which means they've got more than enough to fill a three-hour pay-per-view SmackDown has enough guys to fill a two-hour TV show which means they got to figure out what they're doing for a three-hour pay-per-view most times three hours plus a pre-show match so SmackDown is the organization that needs to solve problems. Exactly. The little baby's agreeing with me. There are, you know, Raw, a lot of times, has not taken advantage of what they've got. You know, they've, they've, they've been doing, I think, well since the Superstar Shake-Up. As I've said, The Miz is great. I'm not disappointed with Bray Wyatt on Raw, but he hasn't done much. And the Alexa Bliss thing is, is genius. Um... But SmackDown, SmackDown has looked at what they've got and made the most of it. You know, before we move on completely from Bray Wyatt, a lot of people were talking about uh, my my Bray Wyatt theories last week. And one person I got when I looked at the at the at the listener feedback, which you can drop me a message at notsam.com in the contact uh, link. Uh, one person said, you know, people bring up the Undertaker, people bring up Papa Shango, people bring up uh, a lot of people in talking about Bray Wyatt's character and inspiration. Waylon Mercy. Waylon Mercy gets brought up as Bray Wyatt's inspiration. But nobody has brought up uh, a man that this person brought up, and that's Kevin Sullivan. And yes, there are a lot of similarities to uh, the 80s Florida satanic Kevin Sullivan, which I thought was great. You know, I think demonic and possibly satanic wrestlers as bad guys is a cool thing. I think it's 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 a it's a great way to package a bad guy, and it's an easy thing to boo for. It's evil. It's the antithesis of good. Uh, but some a lot of people. I, I was getting it uh, on my website, and I was getting it on Twitter. More people than I thought were saying that basically what I was saying last week was I wanted to uh, put Bray Wyatt in the position that Sting was in leading to Starcade uh, with his match against Hulk Hogan. That, that I wanted Bray Wyatt in the position that Sting was in when he was up in the rafters, when he wasn't saying anything, the year-and-a-half build to the match that ended with a big old dud, Hulk Hogan versus Sting. And no, I'm sorry if that's how it came across when I was talking about it last week, but that's not at all what I think. Uh, I, I, I think that uh, you that definitely not. Sting didn't speak at all. He didn't wrestle at all. Sting didn't wrestle one match or speak one word for well over a year on television. He just kind of showed up here and there. That's not what I was pitching for Bray Wyatt at all. I was just pitching a situation where he doesn't speak every week. You guys kind of went to the extreme on that. I I was saying that he should he should instead if he's going to speak, if he's going to cut promos, let's do it every two or three weeks not wait a year and a half before he speaks again. I said maybe he doesn't wrestle every week. Maybe he does a run-in this week and a promo the next week and a match the week after that and blah, blah, blah. And he's just this ominous force that's always around. But I don't think Bray works as a Sting character, per se, because Bray is more human than that. There is a human element to Bray Wyatt. So that's not really what I was proposing. Uh, You know, I guess... In hindsight, maybe I see that, but 
No, that's an extreme version of what I was talking about, and I, I don't think that that's at all what Bray should be doing. Uh, let's talk about the fact that there's an NXT takeover Chicago. First of all, another injury. Ember Moon being out is a disappointment. But uh, Drew Galloway being part of NXT is huge. We talked about Adam Cole last week. Apparently, he's wrestling his last PWG match a day before NXT TakeOver Chicago. I am so bummed out that I am not going to be at NXT TakeOver Chicago. I'm not doing the pre-show for that show. And I am so bummed out, number one, because there is the thought that Adam Cole could be there. And I've been advocating for him to be a part of WWE forever. But number two, in my mind, the match that is no doubt going to steal the show is the UK championship match between Pete Dunne and Tyler Bate. That is going to be the match to watch at that TakeOver show. Those two Brits are going to walk into Chicago and they are going to try to take that TakeOver special away from the NXT roster. And I love that because when when NXT, you know, a few years ago, especially those WrestleMania TakeOver shows, even the Brooklyn shows, when it was the show before SummerSlam, the, the Bayley versus Sasha Banks show, the NXT takeovers that were before WrestleMania, even when it wasn't a takeover, it was a non-televised event in uh, 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 San Jose, I believe. It was always this thought that NXT was coming in and the goal was to take over the weekend. NXT was coming in and they wanted, at the end of the weekend, instead of people talking about WrestleMania and instead of people talking about SummerSlam, the show felt like the roster wanted people to be talking about them. They were trying to steal the weekend away from the main roster people. Now, since then, NXT has gotten quite a bit bigger. The brand has expanded to the point where it's it's tougher to tell that underdog story. It's possible, but it's tougher in the sense that you're almost signing a who's who of independent talent out there now. Uh, but that said, that same spirit to me exists in some of the British talent in the UK championship division because to to watch NXT develop into a brand that is so big that a brand under it like the UK tournament is coming forward and stealing their show is so cool it's so cool competition is always good in the world of pro wrestling and the idea that there is there is a youth movement coming in and trying to steal the show actively and that as an audience we're aware of it and we're maybe watching it happen is the best position that WWE, that NXT, that any of that stuff can be in. And I think that that's exactly what's going to happen at NXT TakeOver Chicago. I think that Drew Galloway had better bring his A game because Tyler Bate and Pete Dunne are going to come in and they're going to steal the show away from the NXT roster. And it's going to be up to the NXT roster to not allow that to happen. I think that that's the best environment you can possibly watch a show in. Competitive. The locker room is competitive with each other. And as I've said before, after that happens, you've got to, I think, you guys know how I feel about Pete Dunne. I think Pete Dunne 
should be should be causing havoc on 205 Live. Why not have Pete Dunne show up at 205 Live and beat up a bunch of people? Why not have Pete Dunne show up at the NXT TV tapings and show and and, and beat up a bunch of people? I think that the the way you create an interest because I guess they're they're they have filmed some TV for the UK Championship. Idea being that there will actually be a UK show. And while that's great for the UK audience, I think that in order to make that part of the WWE global brand and make it as big as possible, you've now got other brands you can incorporate it with. You know, I don't think that the UK guys need to show up on Monday Night Raw and make a big scene, but because what would probably happen is what's happened with the cruiserweights, which is a lot of times nobody knows or maybe nobody cares, but... You throw the you throw the British guys on 205 Live. You throw the British guys on NXT, and they show up kind of with a takeover mentality, not like NWO, not quite so dramatic, but just showing up, beating up somebody, and letting everybody know that there is a show coming to the WWE Network that is better than 205 Live. There is a show coming to the WWE Network that is better than NXT. That the, that the UK championship roster is better than these brands. And they are there to ask somebody to prove them wrong. Create a rivalry now that you've got a WWE network that potentially has three unique brands. NXT, 205 Live, UK Championship. All independent from Raw and SmackDown. But Raw and SmackDown exists in a world outside of the network. So that becomes a little more difficult. But create rivalries inside these three brands create some competition inside these three brands what is the number one brand under raw and smackdown and have all three of those rosters fighting for that title because nxt has walked in and because they've been around the longest and because they have the reputation they've decided to kind of own that title they've decided that they own the title of number two spot under the main roster it's nxt well, what if the UK Championship kids have a problem with that? What if those British guys say, no, 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 our show's better? What if 205 Live comes forward and says, our show's better than both of you two? What are you talking about? What if TJP and Rich Swan come forward and say, no, our show's better? You know, it doesn't have to be this whole dramatic thing where it's all encompassing and we have to have a pay-per-view and there's an invasion angle and all this stuff. But you can create legitimate competition between all three of those brands. Make it so fans have to pick a favorite. We can watch it all, and we will watch it all, but we should have to pick a favorite. Which one's your favorite? And make the superstars on each of those brands compete for the spot as my favorite secondary show. And eventually, when one comes to the top, who knows? If there's real competition, that secondary show can become so big that they can maybe, maybe start poking their nose in Raw and SmackDown. I don't know. Right now, none of them are big enough to do that. But who knows? Who knows? I just think that when you've got guys, and the reason I say this is because like, I go on my instincts as a wrestling fan. And quite frankly, like I keep up on what's going on in the UK, and I get Fighting Spirit magazine at my house, which I love. But I don't watch it. I don't have time. I turned on the UK tournament when it aired with low expectations. I thought I was going to be doing other stuff around the house and it would be background noise. And it was my favorite 
one of my it was my favorite WWE Network original of the year for sure. One of my favorite of all time. Like I was so blown away by it that I'm looking to this takeover show and knowing, not thinking, knowing that the UK Championship match is going to steal the night and I can't wait to see it. Speaking of stealing, a deal so good it's almost a steal. Dollar Shave Club is the smarter choice. It's a great shave at a great price, conveniently delivered right to your door. And for a limited time, new members are going to get their first month of the Executive Razor with a tube of their Dr. Carver Shave Butter for only $5. Only 5 bucks with free shipping by going to dollarshaveclub.com slash sam. After that, razors are just a few bucks a month. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash sam dollarshaveclub.com slash sam thank you for listening and we will be back next week here on sam roberts wrestling podcast thanks for listening listening. follow at not sam on twitter instagram facebook and youtube and subscribe for free to listen every week to sam roberts wrestling podcast Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.